We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 151. Scott, it's an early morning episode. How you doing? Yeah, I don't want to complain about the Chicago games because they start at 8 o'clock. And I feel like I've been complaining about the, the times for baseball over the past two weeks because of the West Coast. But, I mean, I didn't go to bed till like 1 o'clock last night. And the game took four hours. It started late. And the original start time was 8 o'clock. So I am going to complain about the start time and the length of the game. The pace of play was absolutely ridiculous last night. It was like the first time I ever noticed it. And I think it was because 18 mound visits per half inning by Gary Sanchez. Yeah, also the monsoon that happened in the seventh inning that just took everything to a standstill. I guess, but they were still playing. I mean, things are still happening. Yeah, but... You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it was... That didn't, that didn't add an hour to the game. It felt like an hour, just that inning alone. 
And and I I thought that was where the disaster was setting in. Now every time we're going to get into everything, but now every time the Yankees bullpen comes in, it used to be this is lights out for the other team. I feel comfortable right now. Now I'm on the edge of my seat sweating my ass off because it's scary when when these guys are coming in. You don't know who's going to be on what night. Sometimes Tyler Clippard can get out of bases loaded jams. Other times he's given up 10 runs. I mean, it's a circus out there. And then the wind. If you throw in the wind last night with every single fly ball causing a complete ruckus throughout the team. I mean, it was like it was like uh, there was someone up there and just like pegging the balls, throwing the balls down at the feet of every player. It was it was getting ridiculous to a point where uh, there, there had to have been some kind of massive blow up that was eventually going to happen. I love how the cameras just zoomed in on Joe West too, while it was absolutely torrential downpour in the seventh inning. Like, you're going to, you're going to call it. You're going to bring a delay here. The tarps coming out because I feel like Joe West has been, everyone hates, is hating on Joe West recently. Yeah. Well, the stairs, I mean, the dude, the dude's uh, he's, he's kind of ice, but I tell you, they did not want to call that game because if you have a delay, then you got to wait another 45 minutes oh, yeah. to an hour to call it. And like, I'm like, please just play through it. Play through it. <laughs> it does it does make me think, though, that the central time zone, if you live in that time zone, it's probably optimal for sports because you get the early start times on the East Coast. You get your normal start times in your own zone. And then the West Coast games aren't quite as late. Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at I'm looking at some of these guys watching Yankees baseball on the West Coast in California, and I'm thinking they have a pretty good life because the game starts at five o'clock, and when it's a, a Chicago game, it starts at four, which is fine. It's a reason to get out of work a little yeah, earlier. You can't do stop that every doing day. things. Yeah, but you know what? You have the whole night after you're done. That's true. You can do whatever you want. You can you can decompress. You could go to sleep after you've contemplated what just happened, whether good or bad, and and then you have. You know, the entire night you can get a good night's sleep with with no problems. Football starts in the morning, so it's like it's breakfast and football. That's amazing to me. It sounds I w- if I'm a sports fan, I think California is the best, and I, it's actually teetered my opinion on moving out there purely for that reason. The problem every time I'm in California, it's usually for work, so I'm busy at four o'clock, and I feel like I jump into the Yankee game and it's the bottom of the fifth inning, and I'm like, what the hell has happened over the last hour and a half? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a downside of it. You definitely have to manage your time. You have to be good at that. You just have, have to, to work less. To, you have to work less or just, you know, just work smarter. Isn't that what they say? Work smarter, not harder, <laughs> not longer, but smarter. All right, guys, before we get into everything, I want to plug some of our Twitter accounts. If you guys are not following us on Twitter, what the hell are you doing? At Yankees Podcast is the show's Twitter handle. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew underscore Rotondi and Scott's is at Scott Reinen. Go follow us right now. We're always tweeting during the Yankee games. It's Scott and I were actually talking before the show started that <laughs> it's like it's become a the Yankee games are now two things. It's actually watching what's going on and then being first to Twitter to comment on it. Yeah, which is not not easy to do when you're when you're on a delay if you're watching the game on a computer. And two, it's very it's very difficult to really comprehend every single detail of a game when you're when you're out there tweeting and trying to get some uh, some good tweets in. But I gotta tell you, last night was a good night on Twitter. Good night on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, well, when they win, it's good. When they lose, it's not. Weird how that happens, yeah. right? Right. Also, call the voicemail line. Monday's show, we always play voicemails at the end. It's one of my favorite parts of the podcast. So call that line six four six four eight zero. 0342 and also submit mailbag questions we do mailbags on the monday show as well you can uh, email us at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast and you can see the email form right there all right scott where do you want to start because i feel like there's three things going on with this team right now one is the bullpen disaster 
Two is all of the injuries and now the Matt Holiday illness. But three, also, the, the baby bombers are coming up and there's a lot of youth on this team and some of them are actually performing. So where do you want to start? I think the overwhelming story right now is the injuries because I think it plays into everything else. I think the, the injuries slash illnesses slash voodoo, whatever the hell you want to call, whatever Matt Holiday has is is really the I think one of the big reasons why the bullpen is such a disaster and why all these kids are coming up. I mean it's it's all going back to the fact that we can't stay healthy right now. What the hell is going on with Holiday? It started out as a mystery allergic reaction in Oakland, which you never know what's going on in that Oakland clubhouse. You know, Billy Bean's got some stuff going. Like you said, voodoo. It's also yep. a pit over there. There's rats running around. Maybe he got pink eye from, from some rat shit or something. But now they're saying viral infection. And the scary thing is, is that it keeps flaring up and they don't know what the hell is going on. Yeah, they've done all the tests and he he uh, equated it to someone just taking all of his energy and just he's got no energy at all. It's like a, a, almost mono symptoms. But they ruled and- out mono. I saw. Yeah, I know, but the same similar symptoms, and I I, I don't know. That's the scary thing. You're absolutely right. The fact that they can't pinpoint what's going on, but he's still having these symptoms, is uh, is disconcerting to say the least. That's that's never never good. You want to be able to obviously diagnose something so that you could treat it. Well, if you it's a mystery illness, it's voodoo. Then you need a witch doctor, and uh, and that's 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 probably the, the last line of defense. I guess the good thing is that it's not contagious because no one else in the clubhouse has gotten it. Well, I guess, but how do they know it's not contagious if they don't know what it is? <laughs> well, no one else. Maybe, no maybe one it else takes is... a little while for it to set in. <clears throat> I have no idea. Yeah, that's like a Stephen King book or something. All of a yeah. sudden, everyone on the Yankees just dropped dead from this weird infection. It, yeah, it's, what's, what was that movie? Skinny or skinnier or, or thinner? Thinner. Where everybody just Skin, starts shrinking. Skinnier. <laughs> and I feel like there's like 12 Stephen King novels that have that same uh, plot line. But, I mean, it's it's Holiday with the illness. Uh, it's Castro with the hamstring injury. And that's just another one. I mean, <laughs> you lose Castro. He's I know he's not going to start. The, he wouldn't have started the All-Star game, but he was in the running. I mean, he's an All-Star second baseman at this point. One of the Yankees' most consistent offensive players. He comes up lame, running down first baseline on Monday. And it's one of those things that Monday's game, I mean, you want to take away positives from it because Montgomery looks so good and the offense got going. Tyler Austin hit a home run. But then you're like, well, shit, Castro's now going to the DL. Yeah, there's. it seems like whenever there's something good, you're taking two more steps back because there's a, a bigger storyline within, uh, within the game itself. And, I mean, Castro, you're saying he's not going to start the All-Star game, and that's really because Houston comes out in freaking buckets and waves of Al- voting Al- for Altuve. their guys. Altuve. And Altuve's so a stud. It. Yeah, well, Altuve's a stud. There's no doubt. But, I mean, the, he's definitely at that level. You know what I mean? He's, he's performing. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's been one of the best hitters on the Yankees team and has carried the offense along with Judge uh, basically throughout. They've, those two guys have been the most consistent by far. And when you lose a guy like that, then you don't know what to do to replace him. I mean, you have you have guys to to come in uh, and play that role, like Torres, and then you have now Tyler Wade coming up, and you know there's a there's a bunch of uh, of guys that can play that role. But you're you're losing the power, you're losing that you know that big right-handed bat in the middle of your order, and you know I think he's one of the the, the leaders on that team. So I think it's a it's a problem. It's a big problem for losing your all-star second baseman. As soon as he went out of the game, you looked around that infield and you had Tyler Austin at first base, Rob Refsnyder at second base, Torres yeah. was playing shortstop, and you had Headley at third base. You're like, what the hell just happened? Our infield was our strength like a week ago, and now, and now we got all these guys from Scranton in the, in the, in the lineup tonight. 
Well, I mean, you know what? Thank God we have a strong minor league system because that is that is the only reason we are even afloat at this point because True. we have guys have been called up and doing their job. I mean, there have been a lot of guys called up from AAA to the majors within in this year and have really stepped up and done well. So, you know, you got to applaud those kids for gaming up too. That's what A-Rod was saying um, when he was calling the games. He said the Yankees are not 25 deep. They're 30 to 35 deep. Yeah, it's true, and it's become evident. I mean, it's it's the proof is on the field right now. After I mean, what we saw last night from Anduar, it's it's uh, it's been impressive, especially guys that you're not expecting to be called up. I mean, Anduar was not uh, not on the radar to be called into the major leagues at any point eight, soon. Eight games in Scranton. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, ne- four- it was a necessity because of the holiday injury. The Yankees needed Absolutely. the bat, and uh, I mean, on the one hand, he he earned the call up in the sense that he was performing well in the minors. So good for him, but they called him up pretty much because they needed a guy to fill and they needed somebody on the 40 man roster. And that was Anduar. Yeah. The 40 man roster, I think was the, was definitely the the last deciding factor because they didn't have to make a major roster move at that point. Although I do believe that, that Rob Refsnyder's days are coming to oh, an yeah. end. I mean, they, they, they have to be unless now you're seeing the Tyler Austin's hurt too. So they need some kind of a first I baseman mean, at some point. I mean, it's, it's, it's I don't know. One it's thing like, after the other. It's crazy, but it just seems like as the pecking order is shaking out and you're looking at what this roster is and what's in the minor leagues, it seems like Ref Snyder's time is about to come up. But um, that being said, Anduar did a really, really good job, and it seems like his bat, from everybody, from what everybody says, his bat is major league ready. His bat is the is the reason he's on the um, the major league team right now. And what they were really doing, why he needed that seasoning. And, in the triple a was because of his play in the field. Apparently his, his uh, third base skills aren't so, uh, aren't so sharp. They're not like the bat. They're not as far along. So true. That's one thing that we'll have to, um, we'll have to assess with our own eyes, but I have a feeling he's going to see a lot of DH. Well, he is tw- only 22 years old. And I know yeah. there was a bunch of stats going around. I mean, he was the, uh, he had four RBIs and what did he have? Three hits. I mean, he was the youngest guy. He made some history last night because he was the youngest guy to do that since Thurman Munson in 1969. First guy since Roy Weatherly in 1936 with four plus RBIs. I mean, unbelievable I was really night for him. And I was surprised. I didn't think four RBIs would, was going to put you in a, a category into these elites, elite historical stats like that. I figured that would have been done a number of times. Well, for the Yankees. Yeah, it's still it's it's for still, the Yankees. I mean, pretty, usually yeah. when you look at record books, I mean, you see a lot of Yankees right. at the top sometimes. So there's, um, I don't know, it was surprising to me. But yeah, the, the guys, first of all, I was tweeting last night how when I'm watching him, I see Adrian Beltre, like that type of approach. Aggressive can, He's really swing. aggressive. Yeah, he's super confident at the plate. He, um, he swings hard. I mean, this dude just lets it fly. And he hit the ball hard uh, three times last night. And it was it was impressive. That last shot to uh, that last double was uh, was extremely impressive. And first at bat, you know, hard ground ball up the middle, <clears throat> driving in two runs with the bases loaded. Welcome, welcome to the show, kid. Yeah, I uh, I tweeted because when he had the single in his second at bat, and then uh, Headley got thrown out at the plate, which was stupid send by Espada. But regardless, Anduar hit the ball 115 miles an hour off the bat. And just out of curiosity, I looked up Chase Headley's hardest hit ball this season, and it's 107. So yeah, yeah, come on. We we all know Chase Headley's a finesse hitter. <laughs> Anduar, he's got some pop in that bat. And uh, yeah, you said he looks like Adrian Beltre from a physical standpoint, especially his facial features. I thought he looked like um, Mariano Duncan. Yeah, I saw that a lo- I, when I saw you tweet that. I, I did a, t- a double look. I think he's a little thicker than uh, Mariano Duncan, and I think he will thicken <clears throat> out. But 
Um, I, I see what you're saying. I, I love the fact that he is, he's certainly not Adrian Beltre from what everybody's saying in the field because mm. Beltre is a, you know, an, uh, a gold glove third baseman. The guy's just a stud at third. But that, that approach, I mean, I love that. I like, I like the, the fact that, you know, you add in a hard hitting, free swinging guy who just lights up the ball along with, well, you know, Judge, who's now a patient hitter, uh, Gary Sanchez, who, who can work a count, but also could be aggressive. It's, it's kind of a nice, nice little mix in there. I want to go back to Tyler Austin. I mean, it's, it's really ironic, I guess. It's, it's cruel <laughs> now that he's not on the DL yet, but he's injured. Girardi said we can't rule out the DL for Tyler Austin. I guess he was experiencing some hamstring soreness or some thigh soreness even before he got the call up. Yeah, he looked really bad in his first couple games, but I think he was pressing. Once he got to to um, Chicago, he had a couple hits. He had the home run on Monday night, and now he's out of the lineup. And in a in in a bizarre twist, Chris Carter has accepted his option to Scranton. So I don't think we've seen the last of Chris Carter. No, there's no way we have. I mean, look at what Tyler Austin. If you look at his. You look at his career, his short career. There, there. It's it's meddled with injury. This guy has a hard time staying on the field, and that's unfortunately one of the knocks for him. And this is a hamstring injury, which is, you know, one of those soft tissue things that that can be reoccurring. And I don't know. It just it feels like one of those reoccurring things to me. We're hearing Greg Bird is unknown at this point, yeah. and Girardi even made comments last night about the, you know not being surprised if we don't see him this year. All year, unbelievable. That it's would be two straight years after we see a fall, after we see a late season surge from Greg Bird. He gets us all excited, and then two years on the injured list. Come on, that's crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've already ruled out Bird in my mind. Just for the, just if he comes back, great. But I've ruled him out in my mind for this season at, at any sort of performance. I don't think we're gonna get. 10% of what we expected, what I expected from Greg Bird. Well, that's certainly season. not what you expected. There's no doubt. There's 10% is a, is a, that's a pretty, that's a large, you got to rule him out from this standpoint though. You have to. I mean, he's, because the there's nothing saying that he's going to be back. The cortisone shot did not work. He says, I still feel pain. And I don't know if he's just being a pussy or not, but, <laughs> yeah. but like, I mean, clearly this guy has issues. I mean, I, it's different from the shoulder. It's a completely different situation, but yeah. we talked about this with Mark Teixeira, right? whether it's a shoulder or a wrist or a knee or an ankle, it's just injuries. Some guys are injury prone. Some guys can't, can't stay healthy and others guy, other guys can. Tell me you don't want to go back and rewatch that video of him walking by Jeter now and look at his facial reactions again. Maybe he was limping. Maybe he was like, ow, ow, there was, ow. Yeah. He's like, I'm a bitch. I'm a bitch. I'm a bitch. He's just limping around Derek Jeter. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be around you. The, the high school quarterback is here, and I'm just a punk. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what his deal is, man, but it's, uh, it's disconcerting. It's, it's, it's very um, disappointing at this point, honestly. Extremely because we were disappointing. Not even, not even MVP numbers that, that you were expecting or that, you know, we were all expecting good things when we see what he does in spring training. But for him just to not be on the field yeah. is, is so utterly disappointing to see now that, our, that first base is an issue when we all thought going into the season – it was locked down. The future's here, and now we have Greg Bird. And now it's just a, it's a rotisserie of who the hell knows. I don't think I was that outlandish. I mean, I was very high on Bird. I mean, he looked amazing in spring training. But to say he was going to be in MVP talks this year after that spring training, I don't think that was outlandish of me to say. 
Well, I disagree with you because you're saying you're saying MVP, that's most valuable player in the entire league when this guy has only done what, 2 months of 2 years ago, a year and a half ago and then coming off of an injury. Plus an epic we're talking spring about training. <laughs> and we're talking about spring training which which you've also talked about, not not really. It's it's still you spring go training. Go back and listen to the tape. I said he'll yeah. receive MVP votes. I didn't say he was going to win the MVP. And hell, look, Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP this year at this point. So, <laughs> will you stop saying that? You need to you need to stop. If Aaron Judge doesn't win it, Greg Bird will win it. If Greg, I mean, if uh, uh, Greg Bird doesn't win it, Gary Sanchez, I'm going to curse the whole damn team. Jesus, I think we need Dom to go back and look, uh, listen to the videotape so we can uh, so we can hear exactly what was said about Greg Bird. Uh, speaking of Judge, though, he now le- he's continues to lead the league and walks in on-base percentage in addition to home runs. He's up there in OPS, all the other power numbers. Batting average, he's second to Ben Gamble. How about that? Hey, he is having a hell of a year out there, looking like Jesus himself out in Good Seattle. For ben Gamble. Yeah, I mean, he gets traded off of being named the MVP of AAA in the International League, right? Wasn't that? Yep, that was, didn't yep. it happen like right afterwards or right before? Right before it was the. It was like he received <clears throat> the award, and then Cashman was like, "Hey, congratulations! You're off to Seattle." Do you even remember who we got? Yeah, for- was, I was looking it up. A couple of very young, like single A pitchers. I can't remember their names. I just looked it up the other day when I was tweeting about Gamel. But yeah, uh, like low level pitchers with high upside type guys that we'll probably never see. Right. And Ben Gamble's out there leading. Uh, I mean, his batting average is high. He's running into walls. He's stealing bases. The dude looks like an all-world player. He looks like the kind of guy that you could get behind that would be really good for a team like this. Well, but but, but we've talked about. It. I know the outfield is completely crowded. Yeah, Where what are you going to gonna go? do? I mean, Cash. I guess was I, just, there. I don't understand the trade. I don't understand the trade at that point. Then I, I, for for what they got. Well, because. I guess that's, Cashman's hands were tied because you got a guy who is should be in the major leagues, clearly, but you have no place for him. Other teams know that. They're not going to offer you a lot to get him because you have to give him away or essentially just st- uh, stash him in your minor leagues, which you're not going to do. Yeah, it was a tough spot. I, I I definitely understand that, and I I certainly don't think they thought he's going to be the player he is today. I mean, that's no, this is well, a guy I that think it's also proving- a little fluky. Well, it's it's he's been putting together what two months now. I mean, he's been playing a lot out there. Yeah, someone tweeted so, me that his his uh, BABIP <laughs> batting average on balls in play is like four fifty, which is like one hundred and fifty points over over the league average. Yeah, look at bottom line. Good for Ben Gamble. This is the this is a very similar outcome that I'm hoping for Rob Refsnyder to tell you the truth. I hope he gets an opportunity somewhere and he lights it up. Uh, as we were talking about, though, the outfield is extremely crowded, not only at the major league level, but in the minor league level with prospects. One of those is Dustin Fowler, and he got called up to Scranton, but then immediately pulled from the Rail Riders doubleheader. Um, Al Padrique, the, the Rail Riders manager, said he's fine, but uh, it's out of my hands and we're going to figure out what's going to happen, which is very vague. You almost think maybe trade situation. Yeah, he's been having a great year in AAA this year. I mean, he's been among... Uh, I think he he started off slow and has really worked back. And when we were talking with with Donnie, I mean, he was naming Des- Dustin Fowler as one of their you know one of the, the the best players in AAA. He's obviously one of the top outfield prospects in the system. This is a guy that is you know he's uh, I think he hit like 280 last year. He hits power. He can run. He's kind of a five tool guy, and he's definitely under the radar, especially when you're talking about the the prospects in the system because of all the trades and um, you know the. The prodigious numbers that we're we're seeing and reputation of Clint Frazier and some of these other guys, but 
he's a guy that's perfect for a trade. Honestly, like this is a, a, a very good trade candidate. And yeah, super vague. I mean, why are you being held out of a double header if you're going to be called up? Because if you're being called up, usually you're on the move to wherever the city, uh, the, you know, the, the team will be in Chicago or Houston. And the other very strange thing about, about this whole deal is like, why, why, why are we talking about Dustin Fowler being called up to the major leagues as an outfielder with the current situation and what's happening? It doesn't fit to me. I don't understand it. The, to me, the, they need to make a first base move. If, if Tyler Austin truly is hurt, if there's a hamstring injury and he's going to be going on the DL, where's the move for first? Because you can't walk into a, you can't have Austin Romine as your first baseman. Then, then you have no backup catcher. Torres is your, is your emergency catcher. Ref Snyder is your starting first baseman. It's just it, there's no depth at first base. I don't get it. It's a mess right now. Girardi's, Girardi even said that every team goes through injuries. I think this is a little extreme, but it's about how you how you get through these injuries, how you manage this downtime. I mean, I know the Cubs went through this sort of last year around this time. I'm not comparing the Yankees to the 2016 Cubs because that Cubs team was way better than this Yankees team, but they they were able to get through it and not completely sink. I feel like the Yankees have half their body underwater at this point. They're treading water. It's getting scary. Like you said, I mean, for first base, I know who it's going to be. It's going to be Chris Carter. It's going to be Chris Carter. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, can we give, uh, can we give Troy a look at first? I mean, why not? Mike Ford, weren't we talking about Mike Ford? I think he's in double A right now. Maybe he's in triple A. Who knows? I would rather the Yankees hold open tryouts for first base than have Chris Carter back up on this team. No, I totally agree. There are there are people that are on the couch right now that, in my opinion, would be doing a better job at first base than even honestly just for a psyche, just for for our own mental health. Please don't please don't run Chris Carter back out there. I just we know what he is. That's we know what he is. We don't want him there. We already paid but, our respects. We can't pay our respects again. Yeah, no, those uh, we can't take those back either. <laughs> they've they've they're out there. They're out in the Twitter world. We we don't nobody likes Chris Carter. He's a running joke. Don't bring him back. The um, uh, Montgomery, though, I want to talk about Montgomery. His performance on Monday night was probably his best of the season. Seven innings, eight strikeouts, only one earned run, one walk. He's limiting his walks in his last three starts, which is huge. Because I think the main complaint we had, and it's a complaint of a rookie that's had a really, really good rookie season, but our complaint was he gets too deep into counts and he walks too many hitters. But he's, he's seemed to have changed that, which is why you see him go seven innings on Monday night. Yeah, you say complaint. I say you know an area where he needs to improve on. Criticism. There's there's dif- there's different there's different terminology we can use for a rookie pitcher because I think that when you're when you're coming up, obviously you're figuring a lot of things out at one time. You're going to go back to your stuff, what you what got you there. But at the same time, you need to you know manage the the professional hitters that are in front of you. You need to manage the atmosphere, and I think he's done a really good job. And you're you're seeing you're seeing to me very fast progress. I mean, this is a guy who, like you said, coming out with his best uh, with his best outing thus far. And, you know, the strikeouts are, are, are racking up there. He's limiting the walks. Impressive stuff. I mean, he looks really, really good. And uh, people are throwing out there as one of the, he's one of the best lefties in the American League right now. And when you look at the numbers, not far off. Yeah, the numbers also prove that he's having the best season by a Yankee pitcher, uh, Yankee rookie pitcher since Andy Pettit. And Yankee pitcher, <laughs> it's, you weren't you weren't too far off when you were saying Yankee pitcher, because this season he's uh, he's up there. I mean he's he's pitching as well as anybody. And we we you know we were talking about this last time when we we're looking at 
there was a mailbag question about, you know, if we're to go and get a a, a, a trade or call somebody up for the rotation, who's going to be, who's moving, who's leaving? And I think what we circled around that there's most likely in that situation, you're looking at an injury or something that's something that's off. You're not, you're not just going to straight up replace a guy because Montgomery, who would be the, the one that you would think would be replaceable because he's the fifth starter. He's a rookie. He's not. No. He's the guy. He's, he's cemented into that rotation. Absolutely. And, and there's a reason for it because he's pitching out of his, uh, out of his mind right now. And, and, and good for him. I really, Really, really impressive to watch him pitch. The injury is the injury situation with Sabathia. You don't know what Sabathia is going to be when he comes back from injury or even no. when he's going to come back from injury. And when he does come back, who's to say another pitcher won't get injured? Because with the way this team is going, that's how it's going to work out. Well, and that's just the way starting pitching is. I mean, there are multiple injuries within a rotation every single year. So you have to have a number of starters ready to go. And when you're just relying on you know, some of your fringe major league guys to come in and consistently come in and fill in for, for people who are on the DL. And again, Sabathia, older guy, probably going to be, you know, missing a couple starts here and there, whether it's a DL stint or, you know, just missing a start here and there. It's going to happen because that's just the nature of the beast. An older guy is going to miss time. And we have no idea how he's going to come back. So, you know, guys like, guys like uh, Chance Adams are going to have their opportunity at some point. Mama Sabathia was wrong about the diagnosis. It's longer than two weeks. Uh, some a mother being wrong about their child that's that's a that's a strange phenomenon <laughs> you know what i noticed about montgomery on monday is that his curveball and off-speed stuff seemed to get better as the game went on uh he was getting a lot of swings and misses and th- i mean come on that white Sox team is a free swinging team white Sox are a bad team they're they're in a rebuild stage but montgomery was able to make them chase and and really take advantage of them his curveball was was uh you know it's a wiffle was ball a- True 12 to 6. I mean, it was on point. And I don't know how much goes into this, but I can tell you it goes into it. Having the confidence to bury that uh, to bury that curveball, to bounce that curveball, hmm. to throw it low in the zone so that, going. so that you know there is a chaseable pitch that looks like something else coming out of your hand. you got to have the confidence in your catcher to block that pitch so that he can block it and throw it down to first. If it's a strike three, block it, keep the runners intact. That's a big, big thing for a confident in, in when you're talking about confidence in a starting pitcher. And Austin Romine has that confidence, not just of uh, Tanaka. We're not talking about a personal catcher situation. We're talking about the confidence of a pitching staff because that's what Romine has right now. And Gary Sanchez is teetering on that line. I'm not saying he's lost it by any means, but I, I'm saying he's teetering and he really needs to make some marked improvements and adjustments now. And we saw that last night with the intervention, uh, as John Boy called it on his uh, on his reaction, the intervention or the swarming of every every person who's ever played catcher in the Yankees on the Yankees coaching staff and Austin Romine to talk to Gary Sanchez after you know a couple of rough innings with with Tanaka. But I'm telling you, I really hope they nip it in the ass right now. It doesn't become an, uh, an overwhelming problem. That intervention was completely warranted because we touched on this in our last episode. And some people, we had uh, somebody on Twitter saying, you guys are idiots for criticizing Sanchez. He's not the problem on this team. We're not saying Sanchez is the problem on this team. But that doesn't mean we need to ignore the fact that he's looking like he's regressing behind the plate. It's it's If you're not saying something about Gary Sanchez's defense at this point, you're not watching the games with an objective eye. You're looking at it with, with rosy glasses and saying that I love the Yankees and the Yankees can do no wrong. That's fine. Gary Sanchez is absolutely the future of this team. I have no doubt about that, and I will never question that. 
The fact is, is when you see a regression in defensive skills from a very important position on the field, especially with a young pitching staff, with a pitching staff that's struggling badly right now, and you need to depend on the catcher, that's a problem. And it's not just a problem with Gary Tanch's defense because it leaks into the rest of the pitching staff. It leaks into the team and it needs to be addressed. There's no doubt about it. He needs to improve. And we know he's capable of doing it because he did it all of last year. And then after yeah. the intervention, he was blocking balls again. So he can do it. It was, it was, um, it was a mental lapse and it, it, he was, he was getting lazy and that's unacceptable. If, well, he, if he was just incapable of doing it, like Jesus Montero was physically incapable of playing catcher. Gary Sanchez is not incapable. He's very capable. So it's just a mental thing. He's got to concentrate on doing it, and he can't have that lapse in concentration. I was semi-joking, but um, Jesus Montero does play first base and is available. You never know. Nice little, nice little resurrection. The funny thing is Jesus he's not even that old there. at this point. He's probably like 27 no. years old. Yeah, how old is Pineda? They're about the same age. So, yeah. No, look, there, there was one interesting thing from last night after I was reading all of the uh, the interviews or the the quotes from the beat guys after the game, because again, it was twelve thirty and I couldn't sleep because I was excited about the game and reading about everything that was happening. And one of the interesting things that that kind of came out to me was that um, I don't know if you remember that double play ball that Gary Sanchez did not run out, and I was getting on him for like, you, I mean, you got to run that out. I don't give a, I don't care what happens. Run the ball out. Run the ball out. And Girardi talked about that at the end, saying that he didn't run that out by design. And they said it was by design because he had a groin, you know, the groin flare up in Oakland and they didn't want to push it. Is the groin a problem? Is the groin a problem? No, because you know why that's bullshit? Because on Sunday... He tried to uh, go first to third on a base hit, and he was and he failed. So if he really so was trying to not push it, he wouldn't have gone first to third. He would have just stopped his ass at second base, which would have been the right base running decision on on Sunday because Headley was coming up, and the Yankees were still down a run. So that's yeah, bullshit. I, he just didn't I, run I, the ball I, out. I, I, is, I agree with you, but I think it's and I think it's if that's the case, then that's Girardi just you know going to bat for his guy fine. and just protecting him, which is good. That's fine. But, you know, let's not talk about – let's not bring up an injury situation when when said player is not getting down and blocking balls in the dirt. And I have to I have to believe that your groin has a lot to do with getting down that low and being comfortable in the dirt. If they were truly concerned about Gary Sanchez's groin, he would not be catching. Who the hell would be? That's the problem. Well, I yeah, mean – Maybe but, he'd be playing first base. Yeah, he'd be playing first base or he'd be DHing. They would do something else if they were actually really concerned with the groin. That's a, I mean, that's totally Girardi protecting his player, which I'm fine with. I mean, that's the manager's job, but that's bullshit. Yes, it's bullshit. Okay. So Tuesday's game was one of the worst losses of the year for the Yankees. Would you agree? It was definitely one of the more frustrating games I've ever watched. I'm going to tell you why. That I can remember because I was I was sitting there just with anxiety. My back was tight. I'm just riddled with with uh, anxiousness throughout that entire the end of that game. It was terrible. It was a microcosm of everything that's gone wrong for the Yankees over the last two weeks. And it all started in the eighth and ninth inning on Monday's game when the bullpen could not protect, was it a five-run lead? And they had to use Batances and Chapman in that game, which is unacceptable. Holder couldn't get out of a mess in the eighth inning. Shreve couldn't get out of a mess in the ninth inning. So the Yankees, two guns at the end, had to come and save them. That caused them to be unavailable, or Chapman was unavailable on Tuesday night, but Tances was probably tired, not excusing Batances, but he was probably a little fatigued in the ninth inning on Tuesday. And the bullpen absolutely melted down. 
six walks and one hit batter in two innings pitched on Tuesday night. I'm shocked the the White Sox only were able to win it on their last batter. I'm shocked they didn't take the lead earlier in the game with that kind of numbers. Yeah, it was uh man, I was literally in physical pain watching that game. It was it was very difficult to watch. And I agree with you to an extent that you know, Monday had were contributing factors to what happened on Tuesday, but still, Batantis, I think he only had thrown 25 pitches in the first two outings, and who knows what the B-whips were at, but the fact the fact is that Batantis still has to come in and, and close that out. Totally. I, don't, I, don't care. I don't care if it's a third time out. You should be able to pitch on the third time out, and you should be able to come in and, and close that out. I think if Chapman hadn't just come off of the, off the DL, he would have been the guy to come in, uh, but I think Girardi is, is you know being careful with him at this point. Look, I, I'm going to look at, at a couple positives from here because I, I did see one, one thing that I thought was positive that people are kind of overlooking, in my opinion. I thought Clippard came in and actually did a really good job. Oh, my God. I, I thought Clippard, honestly, if you look at the stuff that he was throwing, was, was pitching <coughs> and, and throwing some of the best pitches I've seen in a long time from him because, yes, he, had, uh, you know, he gave up a run because it was a, of a walk. It was actually still a good pitch. That 3-2 pitch was a good pitch. It was not a bad pitch. His his uh, his uh, his changeup was good. It was down. He was actually rising that fastball. That was uh, that w- it was effective. It was a sneaky fast. He was using it to to the way it's supposed to be used. And I thought he pitched pretty well. I thought he gained some confidence back. I, I I'm hoping it was kind of one of those games where we see Clippard just you know get back because you know as much as we all shit on him and want to DFA the guy, that's not happening. You look at the rest of the bullpen; it's not happening. I don't. The guy I don't walked think out in he... June with a one point something ERA. I have a number in here somewhere. But he he pitched very well. He has been terrible lately. I will never, never say he hasn't been terrible. But we need him to be back because we need him to be pitching well because he is a veteran guy that's going to be in this bullpen for the long term. And if he's not pitching well, then there's bigger problems for this team. Yeah, your number was 11 runs in his last 4.2 innings pitched. And that includes uh, three outs on Tuesday, and he only gave up one run, but I don't even think it was his run. He escaped the bases loaded jam. That um or it was a first and second jam, right? He ended it up was first and the bases, second. but he mm-hmm. escaped the jam. The Yankees still had the lead. I don't think you and I want to DFA Clippard. We want to get Clippard right because we know the Yankees bullpen needs him. It might sound scary at this point because how bad he's been, but the Yankee bullpen does need Clippard or somebody to fill Clippard's shoes. And I, I think one of the biggest one of the biggest misconceptions when you're talking about guys to DFA because everybody keeps throwing. Um, Carter and Clippard into the same boat when we're talking about, okay, now we've gotten rid of Carver, Carter, let's just DFA Clippard, get it over with. Well, Clippard in June had a 1.64 ERA. Like, this is a guy that has a, a proven track record Entering of being June. in a, uh, okay, of being, <laughs> yes, you're, um, my bad, of being an effective uh, relief pitcher late in the games. He's got a track record of this. Chris Carter has a track record of hitting 200 and striking out 50% of the time. Yes, he ran into 40 home runs last year, but look, we've all seen him play now. We know what he looks like. We know that the numbers are, are, a little, are a little crazy, and we know where he is. I mean, this is the guy that we know. If he doesn't hit that ball out of the ballpark, you're getting a guy who's striking out 50% of the time and hitting at a 200 clip. That's it. That's the guy. Clippard is a guy that can actually pitch as an effective major league guy in the back of a bullpen. That's, that's somebody you want to be right on your team. Here's where I think Tuesday night went wrong for Girardi, and it's the fact that you got a lead going into the eighth inning, and you go to Domingo German in that situation. Severino had been absolutely filthy. I know he had 105 pitches, but when your choices are Domingo German 
or Luis Severino with 105 pitches, give me Luis Severino. That's option one. Or if you're still if you're comfortable enough to use Clippard to get out of a jam in the eighth inning, why not give him a clean inning? Because I don't think he he didn't want to use Clippard in that point, but he but realized he that he couldn't to. stay with Jermon. He was willing to use Clippard. No, I think he was backed into a corner. There apparently everybody else was was uh, not available. I mean that was just Green was not available. Potato is not Why available. Why was Green he, not available? I don't know. That that's one of the big questions. Green I, didn't I pitch on Monday. He said he was unavailable. I mean, he was. When you listen to what he said, that's he didn't say why. Uh, if you're listening to the uh, the post game interviews, he just said unequivocally unavailable. That's it. I don't know why. But so you're looking at who is available, and you want Jermon to go out there, who's pitched well. He's a guy who's he's, coming to pitch well. He's a rookie. He's not. He's a rookie. That's fine. You can't, we, there's this team is littered with rookies. That's <clears> no longer an excuse. But it's a guy on the team. There's no longer an he excuse. He was completely anymore. overwhelmed. I mean, that's what happened. That was the result, yes. But going into it, you got to have... When you're looking at who's out there, who else are you going to throw? I, I, there, there weren't very many options. Severino. Okay, there's your option. You tell saying, Severino, listen, listen, Sevi, who we've, you've got to nut up because I'm not going to Domingo German. We need this win. Severino, I don't, I mean, you have to... I know... Uh, okay, so Girardi was probably looking at it. His binder said 105 yeah, pitches. I was going to say, nutting up is not in the binder. I nutting can't. up is not a chapter. <laughs> that's a... <laughs> But Sever- but you have to look at the game situation, and Severino was cruising. It was an easy 105 pitches. There's such thing as an easy 100 pitches and a hard 100 pitches. Nathan Ovaldi threw a hard 100 pitches in five innings. That was an easy 105 pitches for Luis Severino. He could have gone back in the eighth inning. And people are probably listening to this saying I'm a hypocrite because on the last episode I said Girardi should have taken Severino out in his previous start. You have to look at the game situation. Severino was laboring against Anaheim. I would not have sent him back out there for the seventh inning against Anaheim. This time, he was absolutely dominating the White Sox bats. He gave up one little cue job to Jose Abreu. That was the only really uh, hit the White Sox got off of him that that um, led to a run. What did he have? Uh, I know it's in here somewhere. 12, 10 strikeouts, 11 strikeouts. He was dominating that lineup. He could have gone out there for the eighth inning. It's about game situation not just number of pitches. If we only just go on number of pitches, I mean, Nolan Ryan's, that was the whole <laughs> Nolan Ryan thing when he overhauled the Rangers pitching staff. You got to look at game situations sometimes, Girardi. First of all, uh, unfair shot at Nathan Avaldi. first of all. Second of all, the the you're right. I mean, I think the game situation and the game flow, when you're looking at it, you have to assess what's going on. But the, the, the thing that we're not taking into consideration at that point is that that doesn't matter. Because that would actually be reading a game with your own eyes and not looking at what's in that goddamn binder and saying he's at 100 pitches, he's not starting a new inning. Because that's in there. I guarantee it's in there. There's a whole chapter written on that, the fact that, that you got to protect your players. But Michael K made actually a very good point last night. And it was kind of a, an, a, an overview of all of this, you know, protecting your players. And it was not about Luis Severino, but just in general. You're looking at how everybody is this, this hard line on this pitch count but look at what the Mets happened. The Mets, the Mets last year and the year before just babied the living shit out of all these guys. They they had the the next um, you know Braves starting rotation of the '90s Braves starting rotation with the Mets, and every single one of them now is hurt. They babied them. They made sure that everything was protected, and now what's happening? They're all going under the knife. They're not pitching well. They're hurt. So the bottom line is that there's no rhyme or reason. There's no there's no like binder way to go about these guys and to protect them from being injured. In my opinion, you got to let these guys go out there and, and just throw. If something is feeling wrong, then you 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 address it. If something looks wrong, you address it. 
But I don't think the, the pitch count, when you're talking between 100 and 120, is that big of a deal. Well, that was going to be my next point. Say instead of 105 pitches, Severino was at 97. Would he have gone back out there? Probably not. I don't know. You look at the Little League rules. Are you going to go over 100 on the first at-bat? I don't know. <clears throat> All I'm saying is, like you just said, the difference between 10 pitches, yeah, maybe 10 pitches when you add up 30 starts, but we're not talking about 30 starts. If, if, he, if he, say, went out there and finished the game at 123 pitches and Girardi really wanted to give him a break in his next start, he could have because you don't know what the situation is going to be in his next start. Maybe he goes out there in his next start and the Yankees score 15 runs and you don't need him to go deep into the game. But you needed him to go deep in this game and Girardi didn't let him do it. And it bit them in the ass because the bullpen absolutely shit all over themselves. At the same time, you're looking at a a guy who's taking you through seven innings, and <laughs> you'd hope that your bullpen can get six outs. You hope. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Not comfortable with sending German out there and crossing my fingers and hoping to die. Yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to blame Girardi and on a lot of these cases, in my opinion, because what's happening is the players are not being effective on the field as major league baseball players. And when that doesn't happen, the, the manager is going to look like shit because he's putting them in bad situations. Or, I mean, we could you know, dice it up and, and, and serve it however you want. At the, at the end of the day, the pitchers that are going out there, I mean, German doesn't, if he actually throws strikes and the ball is put in play, he may get two quick outs. But the fact is that he can't throw the ball over the plate. To me, that's inexcusable for anybody. I don't care if you're a rookie, a veteran, you know, if this is your first game or if this is your, you know, 500th game. Throw the ball over the goddamn plate. I guess. Yeah, yeah. On the one hand, you're right. I mean, what's Girardi to do when the bullpen has, where, where, where's the stat in here? The bullpen's ERA uh, this month. It's the worst in the league. Um, our 6.32 ERA uh, since June 13th for the bullpen. Fourth worst in baseball. 32 walks, which 32 is 32 walks. That's terrible. That's the the number you circle two because weeks. all of the yeah, 32 walks in a bullpen in 2 weeks, that's insane. Right. So, I mean, y- y- and you're absolutely right. Girardi's not out there throwing the pitches. He he's not walking the guys. It's the it's the pitchers. But there's also bad decisions he's made. It's not you can't just put 100% of the blame on on one thing. It's a combination of things. I get it, but 32 walks, that's scattered between a lot of pitchers. Oh, it's horrible. That's a, that's a lot of pitchers. That are, I mean, Batantis. So who's to say that Batantis comes out and doesn't walk guys like he did? No, you know he did I mean? like walk he, guys. He walked two guys in the ninth inning. That's what I'm saying. My point is that it doesn't matter who's yeah, going the out there. guys need to perform. At the end of the day, yeah. the guys need to perform. But right. it, when you send Batantis out there and he doesn't perform, you're like, okay, well, Girardi went to his best weapon. Domingo German is not Girardi's best weapon. The Domingo German situation, I put more on Girardi than I do on German. German's a, uh, like a chicken with his head cut off out there. He's he's completely overwhelmed by the moment. Throw the ball over the plate. <laughs> oh boy! Um, Wednesday it was it was um, a blowout win that didn't feel like a blowout win. It was well, it it, it was a uh, it was a fun game. I got to tell you, it was a fun game. the The fact is is that we saw a guy coming off of. Uh, an injury, making his first start of the season. Rodon. Uh, Ro- Carlos Rodon, who was a high draft pick, what, in 2014, I think he was a first-round draft pick for the White Sox, or the Brewers, maybe, and it came over in a trade, something along those lines. No, 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 he was drafted by the Brewers originally went to college. So he was uh, a first-round draft pick by the White Sox, coming up pretty quickly. I mean, that's that's a pretty pretty fast rise. Had a good year, and I, I guess his bi- his biggest problem is the strike zone. <laughs> Go, talking about guys who can't throw over the ball. Seems kind of plate. important. 
Yeah, he definitely was falling behind hitters. He was walking guys. That first inning was a, was pretty brutal. And thank God uh, we got that that two out base hit by Anduar to really you know put a number of runs on. Because if we were gonna, if the Yankees came out of that first inning with only one run, I was going to be very disappointed. And I think the game might have gone a little bit differently. Well, ironically, Anduar was the only guy to hit Rodon. <laughs> he only allowed two hits. Wow, if you look at the box, I didn't realize that. Good yeah. for him then. Yeah, and then the, the bullpen comes in and the Yankees extend the lead. I mean, Wade gets his first RBI. And and Wade, I want to give credit to Wade on Tuesday night in his first major league at-bat. Pinch hitting, so he's yeah. thrown in there cold, has a tremendous at-bat, works a walk, comes around to score what we thought was going to be the go-ahead or the tying run on Judge's RBI single. Really, really great at-bat from Tyler Wade. Yeah, and you can see the excitement all over his face. I mean, when he got to second base, just like clapping his hands, pumped up. He was that's baseball. That that's baseball at its most fun point ever. Guy getting called up, doing a, a good job, and just you know getting all into the game. It was a uh, it was a lot of fun to watch him. First of all, he is fast. That dude flies. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how fast. I saw the stolen bases. I think he had what twenty four in Triple A. But that's what Donnie I mean, was saying. Donnie Collins was yeah, saying. Yeah, great. When you're looking at him, it's it's evident the, the dude can uh, the dude can wheel for sure. So that's exciting to see, and yeah, he had a he had a that was a hell of an at bat. I mean, that's a tough situation to be thrown. Talk about a rookie being thrown into a tough situation. That was one of them that they kept his cool. So that's why it's great. I mean, as, for everything that has gone wrong for the Yankees, you look at what Wade and Anduar and some other young guys have done over the last couple of weeks. It's been those have been really positive. Yeah, absolutely, and and they're they're thrown into situations where you weren't expecting them to be coming up, and totally um, out of necessity. You know, those are those look, are because of injuries. Their call ups are because of injuries. And when you're looking at that as the player, you're saying opportunity is knocking right now. I got to take advantage of this. I'm going to play my ass off, and that's what's happening. And I love I love it. You know, we we've, we've talked about this at nauseum too over the past three years, really, with these guys coming up together, playing together, winning together. You're seeing a lot of them right now, all together. On the major league roster, I love and it. If you don't, if you don't think that helps a guy come up onto this team and fit right in and slot right in, it's like old times. It's like, hey, this is what we did last year. This is what we did the year before in Double A. This is what we did in Tampa. No problem. Familiar faces make you uh, more comfortable at the plate, playing the game, and then you know things just naturally happen, and that's what's going on. I love it. It's awesome. You see it in the dugout after these guys get yeah. a big hit or something. I mean, Judge and and Wade and Ref Snyder and all the young guys are always just huge smiles on their faces, high fiving. I mean, it's it. We've said this over the past year probably that the chemistry in the minors will translate to the majors, and like you just said, we're seeing it. It's awesome. Um, also good, positive from Wednesday was Tanaka. He did not have his good stuff, but he battled. He was not battling earlier in the season. He didn't have his good stuff. He was leaving balls up and he was, it was home run Tanaka and it, the game was out of hand quicker than you could uh, blink an eye, but he battled in this game, got into a couple jams, escaped a couple jams. So he followed up his really, really good start against, um, Texas with a start that, um, is a step in the right direction for him as far as battling. Yeah, definitely. He was getting out of jams, and I, I saw that. I don't know if it was the same level of intensity, but I definitely saw, uh, you know, that in, that intense look on his face. It just it seemed like he was dialed in. Whereas when when he was giving up all those home runs, he just seemed lost and confused and and just like like oh woe is me! I can't believe this is happening to me. And I'm just I'm not seeing that on his face over these last two starts, uh, which is to me a very good thing. I think body language is important with a pitcher. That's why I think Pineda drives me insane. But when you see what Tanaka did, you're right. He didn't have his good stuff. 
but he was uh, he was battling. There was definitely some visible frustration, I think, with him and Sanchez, uh, you know, going on with with uh, with some of the calls. They were definitely not on the same page, and they got through it. That's a good thing. And again, this is the this is the time when they need to figure that stuff out. And I'm glad that we we put together another start after the dominant start that that was positive. So we're we're staying on the same trajectory with Tanaka now. Got to win this series. You're at a point where you can take three out of four from the White Sox on the road. Even I mean, after blowing a game on Tuesday night, so you got to win this series. You got to start getting momentum back up the hill. It was a snowball effect down the hill with all these injuries, all the bullpen meltdowns, all of the bad the bad losses. You got to get going uphill again. They can do it with a win on Thursday night, going into Houston, which is they're a juggernaut at this point. So you got to win this game on Thursday night. Yeah, it's important, and it's not getting any easier with Houston coming up with all of the injuries that have amassed with all these you know these kids coming up. It's it's going to be a battle, but like you already said, this is this is kind of one of those times where, you know, you can you can have a team that is battle tested later in the year, and you look back at a situation, and and how you stayed above, how you battled back, and how you you really just you know were determined to not let these injuries sink you, and these kids coming up and playing well. This is one of those this is one of those you know look yourself in the mirror moments where you got to come out there, and, uh, and it doesn't matter who's playing, you got to. Like you said, nut up, <laughs> nut up and, and start getting this momentum because Houston's going to be a freaking challenge. It always is. Hashtag nut up should be the new motto on Twitter. <laughs> All right, guys, reminder, call the voicemail line 646-480-0342 for Monday show. Also submit mailbag questions and tweet us. We will talk to you guys in a few days. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.